What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Hey, everyone. We're kicking off this week with giving another shout out to someone who dropped a review for this podcast on Apple. We really appreciate the review. This one is from Claire Sands, who said, Obsessed! More episodes, please. So glad this podcast has arrived. I literally searched for community on Apple Podcasts two weeks ago and found nothing. So to say this is great timing is an understatement. The content is relatable and has helped me immensely when thinking through my strategy for the second half of the year. I can't wait for more episodes. Thanks so much, Claire. If you could all go and drop a review on Apple, that's a huge help for the podcast and helping us grow this thing. And uh, we'll give you a shout out, potentially. We'll be reading out a review every week. All right? Today's episode's a really, really good one. One of my favorites that I've had in a long time. It's with Max Rothery from Finimize, who's a VP of community there. And Max has a super interesting background. He worked in film and in music before and in banking. And then four years ago, joined the Finimize team as the VP of community which was his first community role, but he was able to bring his depth of experience in other fields to be able to get up to speed quickly. And the stuff that he's doing at Finimize is definitely next level. I've been super impressed with how quickly he's grasped the concept of building community and building out their community team. Finimize is a platform that provides investment education to casual investors. So people like you and me who are interested in buying stocks and crypto and getting involved in investing... It's a platform that provides them with bite-sized education on a regular basis. And Max's job is to connect those people to each other so that they can learn from each other, learn together as they're going through the process of investing and getting ingrained in that ecosystem. So we talk all about how he's built up the community programs there and how they run their events. Right now, they're running an event almost every single day with a community team of just two people which is pretty incredible. And they do that by empowering their community to self-organize events. And uh, he talks about their process for how they interview their members and learn from their members what they can create in their community programs and how they source ideas from the community for content and programming that they can bring into their product. Of course, when we're talking about finance and community, we had to talk about Web 3.0 and decentralized finance as well, crypto, So we talk a lot about that new ecosystem and what the dynamics of community look like in that space. There's a lot of really good stuff in this one. You're going to take away a lot that you'll be able to apply to your own community programs and learn a little bit about the future of community in this Web 3.0 world. Hope you enjoy it. Let's dive in. Max, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Very excited to chat. We've had some interesting chats recently about the world of community, the world of finance and community, DeFi, Web 3.0, lots of interesting things happening in this world. So I'm excited to dig in. 
why don't we start with just a little bit about your background? Can you share how you got into community management? Because before that, you were kind of focused on general strategy and a little bit about the background of Finimize and how that community came to be. Yeah, sure thing. So Finimize was my first ever community job. It was probably the first time I even heard about community. So that was like four years ago and then fell in love with it. Been doing it ever since. <laughs> mm-hmm. Haven't moved. So Finimize has been my entire community experience. That's cool. What were you doing before? Interestingly, so before Finimize, I was working basically at a bank and my job was to come up with sort of new digital strategies and products to attract the next generation of investors, mm-hmm. which is how I got into Finimize because it was a very similar mission to Finimize's whole purpose of like helping people become smart investors and attracting that same audience. But I met my new CEO, my current CEO, while I was doing my previous job. And we were kind of talking and I was like, there's two problems that I'm trying to get my head around at the moment. The first one is finance is all about trust. And trust, it, from everything I've seen in finance, is built through relationships, pretty much all face-to-face relationships. So I was like, that's a real blocker for me. And then the second one was like, how the hell do we get people excited or in care about investing? It was such a dry mm-hmm. topic. Mm-hmm. And then we had this conversation. He kind of like just gave me this double light bulb moment where he said, well, the way that you get people excited about investing is that you stop trying to tell them what to do. You know, the whole finance industry is built to give advice and tell people what to do. Whereas if you just get out of their way and empower them, give them the information, give them the tools, let them go and make their own mistakes, let them go and take control of what they want to do. That's where you get excitement. Mm. That's where you get people engaged and interesting. I was like, okay, that's very cool if you're starting to think of it like that. And then the second part, which was sort of, I'm handing my notice in now moment, was the whole trust thing and scaling relationships. He was like, well, we're building Finimize as a community. And there was no one leading community at that time. And there was a couple of, we sort of done some events. And that was when he asked me to join and come lead community. And I guess that you've got those two missions that I felt like I was already on that mission. I'd spent years already trying to attract this new wave of investors. So I joined and then like, look at today, like everyone's investing. Yeah, It doesn't take much to get people excited about it. Yeah, you were spot on on timing four years ago. It seems like everyone's (laughs) kind of gotten on that bandwagon now. Were you doing any sort of community work before at the bank? No, no, I wasn't doing Ah. anything community. I think, so before I worked in a bank, I ran a record label. Before that, I worked in film. And there's just, there's small things that you pick up that you're like, oh, okay, maybe that was some community things. Maybe I started to Mm. understand how to gather people around something. But yeah, no, before day one at Finimize, I'd never read a thing about community. Got it. And real quick, what is Finimize? Good question. So basically, Finimize is a platform that helps regular non-professional people become smart investors in less than 10, 15 minutes a day. So everything we do is bite-sized, really easy to understand. And then community is a big part of that. So you know, we have events, we have group chats, we have user-generating content. So the whole product is about you being able to accelerate yourself into becoming smarter investing. Got it. And the community component of that is essentially creating spaces, events for people to come and share what they're learning, ask questions, support each other in their journey of essentially becoming investors. Yeah, exactly that. Because I guess it's like, I think we spoke about this before, the modern way to learn anything, I feel is like community. You never Mm. really learn anything 
just from consuming content. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to get stuck in, you have to practice. And there's a reason it's called financial literacy. Like it's really important that you practice mm. talking to other people, hear from people better than you, learn from experience of other people. So if you can combine that with the content piece and consuming content, but you also speak to other people, you also go and practice yourself, you actually go and invest. I think that it turns into a feedback loop that becomes really powerful. Makes a lot of sense. It's essentially a way to practice this thing that you're learning or a language. If you actually look at languages, look at what Duolingo did, you could learn so much on the Duolingo app when you're learning a new language, but you don't actually learn the language until you get to practice it with other people. And so they started doing events and community programs for people to practice languages with each other. But it's the same thing for finance. And in in theory, you could apply that to anything new that you're learning. Like There's going to be a language around it and a familiarity from just discussing it that you'll gain through a community. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And that language thing is really key to sort of unlocking how we think. Because if you want to go and learn a language, the number one advice that everyone gives you is just like, go move to that country. Like really put yourself around that culture. Right. Yeah. Immerse yourself. Immerse yourself in it. And you'll just start picking, like force yourself to engage and you'll be around people and you'll start picking things up by osmosis. So I think applying that, level of thinking was a real light bulb moment for us, for sure. That's really cool. And so that was a big transition for you. Were there things from your experience in music and film and these other industries and banks that you were able to apply to now this new role of owning community for a startup? I guess the main thing was, it's more personal for me. Like all of those areas were places where I was well out of my depth. It didn't make any sense for someone with a music background to be going and working in banking and wealth management. So it was really out of my depth. Same with the whole Finimize thing, going into finance and investing. You don't see anyone around you. It's really hard. Like If you go to finance events pre-Finimize, it was suits and they were so boring. Mm-hmm. And you didn't see anyone that was like you. You didn't feel included. And then we started running these Finimize against events and it was just changing the way people were engaging. Like it was just getting people so excited. And that's kind of more what resonated with me. It's like, wow, if I had this five years ago, it would have been, my life would have been so much easier. Mm, that's cool. And I know you all talk about the concept of the casual investor. So this is who you're trying to reach and who you're creating these spaces for that didn't have a space before. Because before, all investors are pretty much on the more professional side, wearing suits and ties as part of their job. But now you're talking about the everyday person who wants to start dipping their toes into investing stocks, now crypto, like any sort of investment engine, and Finimize and the community you're building is creating a safe space for those people to learn together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think as well, it's not, I guess it's all been accelerated in the last year. Like you now have the technology to invest in the blink of an eye. And we all have that in our pocket. So It just means that that missing element, like people have always been interested in business and people have always been interested in investing, but that missing element that we were talking about earlier, like actually practicing, that's really escalated it and really added fuel to the fire where people are now looking, okay, well, I've got the tools and I'm investing, but they're really looking for the information. And when you look for more information, there's kind of two ends of that spectrum. You either have really dense, long form content that's quite mm-hmm. impenetrable and hard to access, but really high quality. You know, there's lots of research reports out there are really high quality. Mm-hmm. Or at the other end, you've kind of got really digestible content. So think social media, TikTok, Twitter, but it's really hard to kind of 
verify that quality. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to hit that niche of, okay, I I want bite-sized media. I don't have much time, but I'm really interested in this. And we're trying to bring that level of quality. So although we're short, it doesn't mean that you have to give up any kind of quality or level of analysis that goes in. Mm, That's really cool. Yeah, before I started CMX, I worked on a company called Feast that I co-founded. And that was our theory. It was teaching cooking, but it was teaching cooking to like people our age, like more millennials who, you know, you didn't want to go to a Martha Stewart class. And most cooking classes were like deep for dating. And you'd use all these tools at this fancy kitchen that you can never use at home. So we did the same thing. It was like bite-sized cooking techniques and tricks and tips that teach you how to like take care of yourself basically at home using the tools that you have. Yeah. The thing that was cool about this concept of the casual investor, which came out of speaking to our community, and we can come on to that, but the thing that's cool about that is that it stops you thinking that our audience ever want to be a professional investor. Mm. It's like being the home cook. You don't want to go and exactly. have a full-time job as a chef. Right. It's, you're an active hobbyist, really, more than anything. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Okay, so yeah, so you took on this role. Did you start off as VP of community? Yeah. Yeah, so I joined at a time when there was probably... There was a four or five people at the company and my CEO Max was looking for a VP team to mm-hmm. sort of take it to the next level. So me and three other VPs all joined at the same time. That's cool. What were the other VP roles? Business development and content. Got it. So business development, content, and community were like the core pillars that the business really tried to establish first. Yeah. And I think he had engineering right. as well. Right. And that's pretty similar to how it is now. Cool. How big is the team now? About 25 of us, I think. 25 to 30. Okay. Wow. So you've like 5 x over that time. And so what did you do? So you came into this new role, VP of community, which congrats on skipping all the levels of community, right? To VP. (laughs) But this is a new world. So, I mean, you had a lot of experience in other industries. You're, you know, that's the thing. Sometimes you come into a new space, but like, you know how to build strategy. You know how to do internal PR, you know how to create a plan, like there are tools and things that you bring with you, even if it's using it for a new application. But community was a whole new world to you. What did you do? Like, how did you learn? How did you get up to speed in this space? It sounds like you've done this a few times where you've just thrown yourself into the deep end in a new space. So what is your process for getting up to speed? Go and talk to the members. That was the first thing. Just immerse myself in speaking to the members. And We've tried to never lose that principle, but that's the answer's in that. And there's always like this question. I think you might have tweeted about this the other day. Like, what would you do if you were chief community officer or taken on a new senior community role? You take on a new role, yeah. And I think like that's it. There's only one answer. And it's like, go and speak to the members before you do anything else, because everything you need is going to be within them. Future potential members as well, just as important. But I just, would spend all of your time getting to the getting to the point where you know them inside out. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, I see the most important part of my role in any senior community role or any community role is to know your members and customers better than anyone else in the world. Mm. So I started there, just started speaking to people. Got it. Do you have a process for doing that kind of member research and talking to members? I don't have a strict process. I kind of, I know the feeling when I get it. And it's normally around after about 10 one-to-one interviews, And then also I do big surveys. It helps that we've got a large scale audience, but I do really big surveys and then start cohorting those. So for example, I'll take most passionate fans and get a really good understanding of what drives them, what's their intrinsic motivator, what are the things that they're trying to achieve in their life, how they're trying to transform. 
I'll do the same thing for people who are casual users of our platform and do the same thing for people who don't like our platform and don't get our platform. And then once I have a really good sense of those, for me, it's all about just focusing on the people at the top. And I think we use the community promise, which is kind of taken from branding world of, of building a brand promise. But the community promise is all about there's one core customer, you really focus on them and you build your entire product around over-delivering for that one core customer. And it works great for community because so many times you can try and fit five, six different personas that are all getting different value. But if you just focus on one and you just attract that same type of person that gets the same value, the more people that join, they're going to be welcomed into a group of people that are just like them, trying to solve Mm. the same problems as them. And it starts that kind of thing starts to scale. So Mm. I would always really understand our members. And then I'd look at this, building out that promise of, aligning our business metrics and our community metrics. So for example, at Finimize, our business goal is just to help people become smarter investors. And our community goal is just to help each other become smarter investors. Because if we do those two things, we're going to hit all of our metrics. And we've seen it. like It works time and time again. Like The best way to improve is just over-deliver for our core customers. Got it. Okay, so I have a few questions. What is Finimize's revenue model? So we have three main revenue streams. So we've got our free daily newsletter. That's got over a million subscribers to it. That's about, that's mainly driven through advertising. Right. So we have ads in our newsletter. The second is we have a subscription. So we have a premium subscription, which is largely in our mobile app. Gives you exclusive content, exclusive live events. You get access to group chats. That's about what is that? $80 a year? Just over $80 a year. And then the third is we license our content. And so we work with large financial institutions and we have an API that helps license our content. So yeah, those are the three key revenue streams for us. Very cool. And are you able to tie the community programming that you have to that revenue? Is the community free? The community features? The events are free. Events are free. Our events are free. An yeah. online community is paid? The Anything that sits with it behind the premium subscription. So that at the moment right. is our group chats is the main community product that sits mm-hmm. behind the premium subscription. Got it. So I'm guessing events, you're focused on acquiring new paid members and then the online community, if you're tracking engagement and community health there, the business impact of that is member retention. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I think there's a secondary benefit to us, like for the free community, we're really just focusing on scaling those events because the more we scale, the more opportunities come up. So for example, that gives us sponsorship opportunities. It gives us really unique insights around what people are interested in, what's Mm -hmm. trending. It helps us acquire new customers to both the newsletter and to the subscription. Got it. And what do you mean by scaling events? Does that mean making each event bigger or are you trying to run more events? Yeah, so back to this, so the way we think about community is like we have these this approach of how do we create value out of our members interacting with each other? And then how do we take the insight that we get from those interactions and use it to sort of supercharge every other part of the business? So when we think of that, like how do we create value from our members interacting? Well, back to this conversation around like learning finance, like learning a language, you don't just want to consume content. How great would it be if every single day there's events happening on whatever topic that you're interested in. So maybe you've got into finance via crypto. Maybe you're uh, investing and you're really interested in ethical investing. 
Maybe you're into like tech stocks. How cool would it be if you read something that's happened in the news or there's a, we do a deep dive on Apple later that week, you hear from one of the leading fund managers in the world, you know, take BlackRock, they're talking about their tech portfolio, and then you can go and discuss it with other people. That to us is creating real value, but we can't run. There's an event taking place pretty much every working day of the year at the moment. Wow. It's like two, 300 events. Yeah. We can't do that just with a team of two and a half, which mm-hmm. is about two, two, three people in our community team. Wow. So that's where we recruit from our members to mm-hmm. host these events. And that means that everyone gets product value. It means that people get way more value out of the newsletter and you get way more value out of the subscription. Got so it. we try and do that. And then obviously we get a lot of unique insight from those and spaces that we create and then bring that into the product. Got it. And okay, so you're doing the distributed event model. You have volunteers in your community who raise their hands to become hosts. Are they doing it on a local level? Are they like the Chicago host or the London host? We were when it was in person and that's right. kind of broadened out. Now we're fully virtual. Okay. So in person, we were in 35 different countries. I think we had around 10,000 people attending in-person events a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. But this year we're fully virtual and we're on track to have about 60,000 people attend wow. our virtual events. You saw about 6x growth from in-person to virtual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. That's about what we've seen too, actually. Really? That's interesting. Instead of going localized, we sort of do it around time zones with virtual. Okay, that makes sense. Just seems to make more sense. Right. Cool. I want to dive into that process a little bit more, but just going back real quick to the research that you did and personas. So did you find that there were a lot of different personas within the community or within the audience and you had to cut out some in order to focus in on one? Or was it pretty obvious what the one persona was? Because even just now, you mentioned a few like people who are investing for ethical reasons, people who are getting into it through crypto. Like, Are those different personas? Yeah. So that's the hardest part of this sort of community promise process is you have to exclude areas that you're focused on. So I'll give you an example, right? Students are often where people think, oh, you have a really good opportunity with students because they're learning about investing, they're learning about finance, mm-hmm. they want to get a job. They are not our core audience. Our core audience is sort of, I think over half our audience are actually over 40, mm. over 35. Interesting. Over 40. So like our core audience is probably like 27 to 40 year olds that have got surplus income, that are working in right. well-paid jobs and invest on the side. That's our core audience because we're saving them time that they can't get anywhere else. If we try to focus on students or or even, I guess, beginner investors, it distracts us from delivering to that core audience. So we went and removed all beginner content from our app, even though it was some of our most consumed pieces of content. Hmm. We removed everything that catered to that. And we then started to see all of our metrics tick up because the people that we are acquiring are getting way more value out of what we're delivering. Interesting. So for us, it was more about the stage of that journey you're on than the interests that you're into because everyone sort of flips between different trends that they're following. I'm curious, why remove beginner content? Does that persona, are none of them beginners? Do they not need beginner content? Yeah, it basically got to the point, one of the core pieces of feedback we were getting was, this doesn't feel like I belong here because you're trying to talk to me about how to budget. It's like, I know how to budget. I spend less than I I (laughs) do. I don't need that. What I'm, I'm really... 45. I have a budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, 
that's an extreme example, but just small things like that, because it's those small elements that build up from your website to your adverts, to your app, to your, the way people talk in the community, to the people you meet in your community, that getting that whole line correct is what will really drive success for us. Got it. That's a really cool example. And so, okay, so you conduct these interviews, you hone in on that persona, you realize some of the content that's going to be more relevant to them and content that you should cut because it's not going to be as relevant for them. What about from a community experience standpoint? What did you learn from those interviews and that research that you did that helped guide how you design the events and the group chats, like all the community spaces that you would create for them? Well, I think spaces is the first thing that we learned. We sort of progressed from surveying to creating spaces. And that's, I think that's a really powerful thing to get across is that we have thousands of conversations going on every single day that we can observe organically. That's really different to like a really good example is content. If we just surveyed our audience and say, okay, what content do you want us to write? They go, I don't know. That's what I'm paying you guys for. I don't like, I'm not in that mindset. I don't know. I've got some ideas. But if you create a space where people are discussing and you can start to see across all of the groups, different things are trending. We then feed that back to our content team and we say, look, here's what's going on. Here's the context of what's happening and here's what they really want to know. And mm. our content team can start reacting to that. The mm. same thing happens with our, um, with our sales team as well. If our sales team are going out pitching to particular brands, we know exactly what people think of those brands because we're observing. We're not surveying and asking specific questions. We're just creating spaces and watching and observing and then trying to feed that back and give context to the rest of the business. Yeah, I love this. And you and I have spoken about this before. I would love to dig in deeper on this because it's something that I hear a lot of people talk about as a value of community is this ability to observe, right? It's one thing to ask somebody for ideas or feedback or what they want and them tell you but to be able to kind of be a fly on the wall and watch them talk to each other and see what kind of topics and themes and trends come up organically can be extremely valuable for a business to understand how to improve their product or come up with content ideas. But you've actually taken it into building out a process for this. So what does that process look like? How do you identify those themes or topics from the community? And essentially, how do you get that information in the hands of the other people in your company, whether they're content creators or product developers, so that they can implement it? Yeah. Well, I think it starts with just noticing that that's important. And then what we do is we match that up with the quantitative proof. So if we're feeding information to, like, for example, with our content, we found really important to make sure that what we're talking about is trending, is top of mind. Like that's how we get the best performing content. But then it's good for us to say that but then we back that up with, we check open rates, we check the completion rates of our content. And once those two things start lining up, we've added a insightfulness score to every single piece of content. Mm -hmm. So if those metrics all start lining up with what the community team are feeding back from a qualitative perspective. It then allows you to sort of really hone that in. So we have frameworks that we feed in what's trending each week from the community, both qualitative and like quantitative, as in this company or this issue is mentioned the most times in all of our conversations, mm -hmm. as well as, hey, here's the, from the people I'm speaking to, here's what I'm seeing. We feed that in. We have a meeting every week with our analyst team. They see what they're seeing from the market. They see what they're seeing from the metrics. And then in that meeting, we define what we think we're going to focus on that week. Hmm. But it can also be loose. Like 
it might just be me messaging our head of content during the week saying like, hey, I'm really seeing this starting to come through. Like we should be on top of this at the moment. Hmm. When you say quantitatively, do you actually have technology built that will track all the conversations that happen in your community and pull out themes or trends? Like, How do you get that data? One day, one day, I'm (laughs) sure that would be great. Yeah. No, I don't. Um, Multiple different ways. So it's normally about observing and noticing. And you normally, the difference between something trending and something being interesting is like night and day. Like, I think you just know when it's trending. Everything lights up. Everyone's talking about the same thing. But we do things like get the community together to create watch lists, vote on different things. And again, that all starts lining up. Like last week, end of last week, we knew everyone was interested in Alibaba because on the community watch list, it was like 15 times higher or more requested than any other stock that they were talking about. Mm. And then we looked to the, okay, let's go look at some of the conversations about Alibaba, give that context to our analysts. So when they write it, it becomes a good performing piece of content. Got it. Super interesting. Okay. And so, and then you have the event program, which is pretty wild. You're doing almost one every day and it's entirely powered by members of the community. Who are these people that are hosting these events? Why are they doing it? Yeah. So typically, typically we like to have, we're pretty strict on who we let host our events and Mm -hmm. that gets easier as we grow and scale. And we like to have people that have some expertise. So they typically do have a finance background mm. or like an investing background. A really good example, let's take like a McKinsey consultant, really good example of the kind of person that hosts a, a Finimize event. The reason that they do that is because they now have a platform, a large enough audience to raise their own professional status. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really good signal to send out to your own industry that you're active in this space. To build a network, we're again of a large enough scale that they can attract really big speakers. We just found out that Mark Cuban's going to be speaking at one of our crypto events this year. Wow, that's incredible. It's awesome. And that was a community organized event. That is going to be, so we're doing this, it's a whole thing. We're organizing this summit in partnership with our community. So it's a blend of us, which is sort of one person from our team, and then about 10, 15 different community hosts that are all getting involved. And they're all like helping curate content and speakers and stuff like that? Curate content, curate speakers. They're building this Discord server that's got resources. They're running workshops. Like it's a whole, Very we want cool. to create that like conference feeling. Mm-hmm. So they're running that whole side. So that's it cool. should be fun. Should yeah, be fun. we've done something like that for CMX before too. Did one of your community awesome. members get Mark Cuban or did your team get him? I think it came from our side. I think we got Mark Cuban in off of a recommendation from our community team. Got it. But now the community leaders who are organizing get to like be associated with Mark Cuban and have that as a trust builder. Exactly. And also, yeah. there's some other names that the community have pulled in that are very impressive. That's awesome. Just can't announce it just yet. Okay. No sneak peeks here. No sneak peeks here. <laughs> That's cool. So yes, where were we? We have... So they've got their professional status, which is really important. They've got the platform, which is really important. And then the third thing that we always look for when we're interviewing for these roles is like the intrinsic motivation. So, so many people that work in, have worked in finance and worked in investing have this same feeling that I had and, and that everyone on the team has and all of our hosts have of like, it just shouldn't be this hard to get engaged with finance and investing. Mm-hmm. They all believe in financial literacy and they all believe in like how great life can be when you start thinking of everything like an analyst. You start putting that power in people's hands of being able to understand the world of investing. So they can see, I think we have live in our app, the number of people that are attending events. 
they can see they're having a real impact on something they care about, which is really hard to do without the scale of the community that we have. That's cool. Did you build out your own events tool to be able to host all of it? No, 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 no. We're using Zoom. But I think you might know a good platform uh, that can help us. <laughs> that wasn't meant to be a pitch, but I was, I was genuinely curious if you built something <laughs> your own to track it, because that, that would be very interesting. But yes, of course, it's like Bevy's bread and butter is the chapter-based or community-run events. But that's really cool. So they're doing it for networking and building up their own authority in their space. And what are you doing to support them? Like, What are the things that Finimize offers them to help them succeed or help them run their events really effectively? Yeah, so I guess the new thing that we've introduced recently, I think the standard playbook of motivating and engaging hosts with intrinsic motivators applies. But the thing that we really invest in is helping them succeed. So each month we're running some pretty great training. So they get access to whether it's a member of our team, but you know, last month we had someone come in and train them in public speaking. We have an amazing audio producer in our team who came from Monocle. He's run sessions with them on like how to set up a fantastic interview and record high quality podcasts. We help them progress towards the goal that they want to achieve. And if that's professional status, then that means us helping them and getting them access to training to be able to succeed quickly in that. Got it. Cool. I love that. Awesome. And so, okay, so you have this pretty elaborate community ecosystem of events, of online community that's driving that business value. I think one thing that's super interesting in your world that's becoming very a common topic is the element of introducing financial incentives to community. Now, this is coming up a lot in the world of Web 3.0 with decentralized autonomous organizations or NFTs, where people are participating in a quote-unquote community, but they're also getting rewarded for their contributions. So there's an actual like extrinsic reward for participating in the community. So yours is a little more removed from that because you're not paying people necessarily to participate in the community, but still there's a big financial component to the community that you run. What have you found that, I guess like this is the first big community you're running, but what do you find is unique about the Finimize community when the element of finance and sometimes people might lose a lot of money and does that impact the culture of the community? How does it play a role in the community that you build? So... On that last point around like people can lose money, yeah, I think that's a great example of where community works best. That's where the worst thing that can happen is when you're left on your own. The best thing to do when you lose money is go and speak to someone else that's also <laughs> lost money. And you're like, hey, that's, that's kind of the point of investing. It's like, sometimes you do well, sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. So I think like that's a really natural way for like a natural reason that someone, that community should exist. But we've never had that. Like the coolest thing about our community is like, and you must have this all the time as well. Like It just blows your mind how passionate people are. We have an amazing story. We had one of our hosts in India, Dig J, shout out to you. He built a team in India that ended up flying across three different cities for like a road show on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday across the weekend. And there was like two, 300 people at each of these events. Wow. And you're like, this is crazy. They're meeting up to talk about investing. Yeah. You know, like, this is crazy. And that's, yeah, that's where it becomes rewarding. That's where it becomes special and different to any other finance community. Hmm. That's cool. So you don't, you don't find that it, it adds a negative element to your ability to build meaningful, healthy community? No, not at all. Not at all. And I think, yeah, I just think 
anytime that there's an opportunity for people to come together and help each other out, I think it's a really positive thing. Yeah. Because the problem with finance as well is because of, it's very difficult for financial firms to engage on that level because finance firms are regulated and just creates this really big gap for people that are out there on their own investing. And the last thing you need is the financial advice industry to say to you like, well, you shouldn't be taking that kind of risk. Like what you really need is to go and be around a community of other people that support you. And that, that's why I think because if communities don't have their values, if finance communities don't have their values rooted in helping each other, you can end up with that spiraling out of control. You can end up where a community is built around taking crazy bets. No finance communities uh, mentioned. But because we built our community around those values of helping each other out, and we're not interested in day trading and try and get an edge, it really, that's what makes the Finamized community special. That's cool. So kind of what you're saying is there's communities out there like Wall Street Bats, for example, that tends to be a little bit more about like, let's all rally around. This is an investment. Let's all invest together or trying to get that edge. Whereas like Finamize really centers just financial literacy and education. Yeah, I guess it's more about quality insights. And there's some amazing, like the Wall Street Bets Forum gets written off as not high quality. There's some amazing pieces of insight in there. It's just Mm -hmm. really hard to trawl through everything and dig those great pieces out. Sure. So really for us, it's more about the convenience. If you don't have the time to go and spend all day finding these amazing pieces of research and insights, that's where Finimize is great because our whole ethos is around like high quality, but bite size. So Mm. if there is interesting research and analysis, someone will summarize it. And that's what goes into the Finimize community. Mm. On the community side, do you ever have an issue with people becoming quite loud about maybe a stock that you should invest in or giving like bad advice, kind of low quality content, let's call it, which can actually have a pretty outsized impact when we're talking about investment and finances? Yeah, we don't because our team, we've spent so long building our values and making sure that we recruit the right type of people and set the tone throughout that journey. Because like, here's a really good example. We've got a really clear rule and value in our groups that there's no such thing as a tip. There's no reason that you should, there's no one has an inside secret. doesn't matter who they are. There's no such thing as a tip. Because even if you get a tip, let's say it's a good tip and someone says, invest in this stock and it goes up. What do you do then? You've got no grounding. You've got no foundation. Should I sell it? Should I keep it? And then it goes down the next day and you're, you've got no foundation to make a smart decision from. So what we're trying to do is like, make your own mind up. Like go in, it's okay to make bad decisions, but you've got the grounding to know it's a bad decision. So that's the kind of, those where I think community is really valuable in this space and sort of feels more important in finance than perhaps in other areas. Got it. Awesome. All right. Well, I got to ask you about Web 3.0 and DeFi. Maybe could you just like give a quick definition of DeFi for people who aren't familiar with that concept? I'll try. Yeah. I'll try. I'll, I was going to caveat this with like, <laughs> I'm a newbie to this whole world. But decentralized finance is DeFi, right? Yeah. It's, you know, you'll know, you'll hear of Bitcoin as the most common way that I see. But the idea is that you don't really need the banking and finance system because all they do is they intermediate between two parties. The idea of DeFi is that basically through technology, you can get rid of the middleman. You can get rid of the banks. I can exchange money to you. You can exchange money to me and the whole system figures itself out. Right. Yeah. And so DeFi and crypto are, are kind of the same thing. When people are referring to those things, they're this platform where things are decentralized. You're cutting out the middleman. 
And now that's opening up opportunities for things to be created like DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, where there's no central corporation like there is in a traditional C-corp. It's just an entity that's owned by the community. People can own tokens. They can all vote to make decisions as a company. And then, of course, things like NFTs that are blowing up now where you can essentially track things like art or really any item on these decentralized platforms. But so what's interesting now is the in the world of Web 3.0 and DeFi and crypto, it's community is at its core. Like There isn't a single thing that works in this space without having a community of people contributing to it, buying into it, believing in it, being involved in it. And so anyone who launches a project like this, almost by default, is going to be building community. For the most part, a lot of that's living on Discord. But there's a lot of like interesting conversations happening around the dynamics of community in this new space. Because like we said before, there's a financial incentive, right? If I'm joining a community by buying tokens, but like my hope is that the price of that token goes up, how does that impact my motivation to genuinely contribute to this community? And if it doesn't go up or if it goes down, do I become less engaged in the community? Like, Do I actually care about the other members or do I care about the price of the token at the end of the day? What's your take on the world of community and Web 3.0? Are these legitimate communities? And what can people do who are building community in this space to make sure that they are meaningful? Yeah, I had very little interest in crypto until the penny dropped. They're just building communities. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then you start to apply that, right? Like, I genuinely think if I was to start a community again from scratch, I would consider starting it using crypto technology. Like I would consider starting a DAO because that way, let's say 5, 10, 15, 20 of us can get together and all contribute our time and be rewarded for creating value. So that concept, I think, stuck with me. And then I started looking into some of them. And, and I think it would be naive to write off these crypto communities mm -hmm. as not being proper or sort of true community professionals. Because some of the stuff they're doing is next level. To codify the values that, that we build into community every single day is very, very difficult. But a lot of these, they don't just have... I mean, there are thousands of engineers working on these crypto projects at once with no leader, no authority. And they're not just building together. They're sort of, they're building in rewards for participating and engaging. And they're building those in and codifying them in. So if you start, let's say I contribute three times a week to a forum. If my posts are getting, are creating value for the other members, I'll get rewarded in a social token. Now those social tokens, the more people that join our community, that social token is going to increase in value. So you're incentivized to create value. And inherently, you've got built in all of the drivers around word of mouth. And it kind of ignites every element that we do in community today. And it's codified. At the moment, community mm -hmm. is built with PowerPoint slides, type forms. So it's all codified. So I love that side of it. I love the side that they've sort of progressed it to the next level. And they're sort of pushing the boundaries of what community is. But in the same time, I fall off at the same point that you just mentioned. I fall off when, okay, but... What happens when you know the price of their token goes down, mm -hmm. goes to zero? Or what happens when the NFT that everyone's rallying around ends up not being worth anything? Does everyone jump off and, and is that community? So I think the projects that will win, the crypto projects that will win, are the ones that build long-term value and build that sense of belonging who don't care about the price. People are just in this for the community. 
And I think inherently that will end up driving price. Mm. But I find it, I find the whole thing fascinating. And, and I think some of the, like, if you look up the Friends of Benefits mm-hmm. DAO, I think the way they built that is, is really cool, really interesting. And they're taking votes on things like, are we going to, you know, should we hire a new person into the team? Should we hire a full-time member of the staff? And that gets decentralized to everyone who has a say because they have ownership of the token. So it's really cool. I think it's really cool. I think it's really exciting. I'm certainly watching it. I'm trying to find ways where we can experiment with some of the frameworks they're using and some of the Web 3.0 opportunities. Hmm. But I'm not a convert just yet. Mm -hmm. I'm getting there. I'm becoming a convert as I'm having more of these conversations. But yeah, it's interesting, right? Like the reward element is a really fascinating conversation because there's two very compelling arguments on both sides that I see. On one side, you mentioned like, okay, if you're posting in the community three times a day and you're creating a lot of value for people and you can get rewarded with tokens for that, isn't that a good thing? Yes, like it can be a good thing. One thing we know about gamification in the world of community is that people will start changing their behavior in order to gain rewards. So for example, if you reward people based on number of posts, data will show that they will post more, but the quality of those posts will go down. So how do you account for quality? How do you account for making sure that your answers are actually helpful to people? We also know that studies tell us that extrinsic rewards will replace intrinsic motivations, right? So going back to your event program, for example, like I'm not sure if you're, do any of your events organizers get any sort of compensation? It's all volunteer run? No, we've experimented in the past and the, every single time the best hosts are purely intrinsic, intrinsically motivated. Exactly. We don't do any extrinsic motivation because it doesn't work. Right, right. So like, what if you started rewarding those hosts with finomized token or something for their contributions? Now, would the type of people who apply to do that change? Would they maybe value that networking and that reputation that they're getting from it today, would they value that less if you introduce like, well, you're also going to have some financial incentives, right? Because like I've referenced this study from Dan Ariely all the time where they offered lawyers, they asked lawyers to take on a case pro bono for free and tracked how many of them said yes. And then they asked lawyers to take on a case at like one quarter of their usual fee and a higher percentage said yes to doing it for free than the amount that said yes to doing it for a quarter of their fee, even though they're getting paid more than in the first case, right? So like we know that those incentives can replace the intrinsic motivation, that social value that people get. So how does that impact community? Yeah, and I think this is where crypto firms need to start hiring community managers because I think the answer in there has to be, and I don't know, and I'm sure you figure out as you go along, but those are the questions that you need to answer on day one. And the answer is going to sit in, if you build, if your incentives are to get as many people in that community as possible and to increase the value of your token as possible, you're going to end up exactly with the community that you've described. If that community is built around attracting exactly the right kind of people and then everything else looks after itself, then you can start to build in checks. Like, how do we make sure this happens? What checks have we got as a group to make sure that we're still in line with our values, regardless of price? So I think those are the problems that, the crypto community are going to have to figure out. But I wouldn't assume that they're not going to. I would assume that give it two, three, four years, this will accelerate and people will start figuring that out. 
It's interesting. What you said reminds me of um, Bill Walsh's book, The Score Takes Care of Itself. I don't know if you ever read that. One of the best leadership books out there. But it's interesting, right? Because like his whole thing was, don't worry about wins and losses. Don't worry about the score. Like if you focus on helping, he's a football coach for those who don't know, focus on making your players be the best version of themselves and truly feel like a team and show up for each other and care about like doing things the right way the score will take care of itself. Like you'll end up with more wins. You'll end up with higher scores, but you don't get there by just focusing on the score. And in some ways, there's a way to apply that to crypto where it's like the valuation will take care of itself. Like, yes, that's what you want to accomplish in the long run, but you don't get there by just saying like, let's get this value to be as high as possible. You get there by saying, how do we make the people in this community as successful and connected as possible? How do we give them as much value as possible? How do we make them feel like they're really a part of something and give them ownership and autonomy? If you do that really well, the valuation will come. There you go. Take that as a clip and send it to everyone that is trying to build (laughs) anything. But it's true. You're trying to build a startup. The number one thing we care about is like talent density. How are we getting the right people? Because then you don't really need to manage anyone. Like Your life is a dream when you've got a great team. Mm -hmm. So... I completely agree. Everything you said, I need to go write that down and listen to it back. But that's exactly how I think every community should be thinking about how they're building. Every team should think like that. And I think it starts to get to the heart of of solving some of the challenges that crypto community is going to come up against. Yeah. I'd be very interested to see a study with data on like the correlation between community health and token valuation. Well, the thing is, you only actually, t- that token is only worth money when you sell, right? Yes. So you'd have to leave the community <laughs> to right. extract the value. In theory. So I guess there's some, in, in theory, yeah, there's some inherent, in, I guess, you, yeah. I mean, you could own, I think you have to own, what, like 70 FWB tokens to be in Facebook with friends, uh, or friends with benefits, Facebook with <laughs> friends with benefits. You could own 500 tokens and just make sure you yeah. hold the minimum to have membership. I guess it depends how they structure their membership. Yeah. But it is a good point. <laughs> and I guess as well, that's the whole thing is like, if there's a bear market, a crypto bear market or a bear market in the stock market, that, and I know the crypto community think like this too, that is where you sort of, you'll lose your members that aren't so attached to it or were just in it for extrinsic reasons. And then yeah. the people who stick around, the people at the core, that sort of solidifies them even stronger to then continue totally. and build. Totally. Yes, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's super exciting. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like ones that can offer profit sharing or something like that as well is beneficial. Because I mean, if you think about it, like a DAO being like working for a company and you actually want people to be treating this like a part-time job in a way, then to your point, you don't want them to sell the token just to get any value out of it because then they're selling their ownership, their their part in the community. But if you can like have some sort of profit sharing model, which I know some of the organizations do, then just by owning the token, you're seeing some financial benefit for the time and work that you're putting into the community. Yeah, well, we, being at Finimize, you know, and speaking to our community, one of the things that I think is, is going to be a mega trend is people feeling ownership in the brands that they love. Mm-hmm. And more and more, that's going to shift customers to becoming shareholders. So whether it's owning some stock in Oatly or it's crowdfunding your favorite startup, we see that especially with crowdfunding, if you crowdfund your favorite startup, there's an affinity there that is so strong. There's a really strong sense of belonging. Totally. So whether it's crypto, whether it's stock, whether it's crowdfunding or angel investing, more and more that 
alignment is going to come into play. And I think if you think on that, if we accelerate that to a public market level, if you've got a public company, say you're a Nike and a large percentage of your most passionate customers own stock in your company, one thing people care about at board level is their stock price. So you better know how your customers think. You better know that you better know your customer inside out and you better know them better than anyone else. So that's where I think community is going. That's where I think chief community officer is like, I'm so bullish that that's going to start popping up at major firms all around the world. And I think the only people that can have the skill sets are the people who have spent the last five, 10 years building and scaling communities and dealing with all of these small challenges uh, that are out there. Hmm. I love that take. Yeah, just the trend towards community ownership in brands is going to lead directly to the chief community officer becoming one of the most critical roles at every company. Because now the community isn't just people on a forum. It's literally the people who own the company and are most invested. Yeah, 100%. And I think you're starting to see some really cool things with it. Like um, Airbnb or Robinhood, they were encouraging their community to buy into the stock of the company when they went public. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a long way you can go with that. I think like at the moment, there's this mindset of, can we use it to influence our stock price? But if you go beyond that and go like, no, we can get, we can really ignite our most passionate customers by giving them ownership, rewarding them with some ownership, make them feel like they have a say. If you can do that at scale, then it becomes really, really powerful. And it changes that mindset, Mm -hmm. that that survey mindset of, okay, we're going to poll our customers and we're going to find out what they want to this community mindset of like, we're going to observe our customers. We're just going to deliver on the promise that we made to them when we started this business. And the more we keep doing that, the more buy-in we're going to get and everything just starts aligning. So I'm very bullish on chief community officers becoming a big thing. I love it. Got me excited now. Yeah, I just had a <laughs> good conversation with Sahil Lavingia, who's the CEO of Gumroad. And that's what they did. Community crowdfund, raised $5 million and... It's very interesting. I think we're going to see that a lot more. Even if you're not a decentralized org, you can still raise funds from your community and give them ownership that way. And yeah, like why aren't public companies doing more to build community amongst their shareholders? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot more restrictions around being a public company as well and what they can do. But like, I own stock in a lot of companies and I don't get any sort of community engagement around it. That seems like a missed opportunity. It's a really cool area. Maybe we're going off topic now, but it's a really cool area of impact investing. Mm-hmm. So what should happen is when you own a stock in a company, if you own stock in a company, you have a vote mm-hmm. and they have board meetings or annual shareholder meetings and they right. put out, they vote on serious topics. And I think recently we saw HSBC, one of the largest banks in the world, reverse their carbon emission policy because shareholders mm-hmm. grouped together and voted against what the board were trying to get through. Wow. Now, the only reason that's not happening is because I don't know that I don't get asked if I can vote on stock. Like, that doesn't come, I don't get a notification on my phone saying there's a vote coming up. But all of us as shareholders should be doing that. Right. So I think as technology erodes that, that's where you start to get this sort of decentralized model, but at public company level. And it doesn't have to be crypto, it's just involving your customers in building that business. But yeah, the shareholder meeting is like, the most boring sounding community experience <laughs> possible, but like that's the extent of what they're doing from a community standpoint. But like, why not have like shareholder parties and events and experiences and community spaces and take it farther? Super interesting. There you go. Okay. We, this is a long episode. This is great. We could go all day. 
But we're going to move into our rapid fire question round right now and go real rapid fire here. You ready? I'll give it my best shot. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. First question. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would that food be? A massive fan of burgers. Burgers. I like to limit my downside. So you can never have a bad burger. It's great. It's the whole meal. You know, you got the salad, you got some meat, you got some bread. What else do you That's need? You it. could survive on burgers. Yeah, exactly. All right. I love it. Next question. What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others or to recommend to others? The one I most commonly give is called Rules for Revolutionaries. Mm. It's an incredible book around how big organizing and grassroots campaign, I think that started with the Obama campaign Mm -hmm. and then moved into Bernie Sanders and kind of led to AOC. If you ever want a Bible on how to blitz scale a grassroots movement with in-person communities, like it influenced everything that we do to this day. Super cool. That book is fantastic. Is that Bernie's book? It's not. It's by the team that were behind it. I think Zach Exley is one of the guys' name. Cool. But yeah, super cool. I have to read that. Yeah, I know it's built off Rules for Radicals, which is one of my favorite books from Saul Alinsky, who like defined that model in the first place. So there's another one for you to check out. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, definitely do. If you're only able to invest in one stock or token for the next 10 years, what would you invest in? Good question. I wonder what my analysts will say. This is not investment advice. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'd go Twitter. I go Twitter because I'm obviously bullish on community, but the way that they're now building in public is so cool. Like they're putting out, you know, they did spaces, they're doing supercharged accounts, and then now they've just acquired a community platform. I think. Compared to Facebook and Google, they haven't cracked their advertising revenues yet. But I think if they can build community really successfully around their creators and unlock that to then unlock their advertising business, I think it could be a good investment. Hmm. Good. Good to know. Yeah, the Twitter community is something I'm watching closely to see how that plays out. All right. What's a go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? So last couple of weeks, I've been experimenting with this. I mean, I'm overselling it. This one-two punch strategy where you ask a question, but I block out time in my diary to every single answer I get. I go back and say like, why? Or tell me more. Mm -hmm. And then that's a really Mm. cool way to get, instead of just getting those small, like we were talking about, high scale, low quality posts, it really makes people think. And that's where you get the good nuggets in there. I love that. Asking why is low-key one of like the biggest hacks you can have in interviewing as well. I use it all the time in these interviews and community. So I love that. I love that call out. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? I'm right now. Is that a good answer? You are currently? Yes. I love yeah, it. Right now. Right now. I've got Part of the Birkenstock club. just launched these new... like They look like fluffy Crocs, right? They're so comfortable. Oh, I'm a big Berkey fan. So I got to go check those out. <laughs> yeah, they're good. Okay. Who in the world of community would you most like to sit down for coffee with? I would love to sit down with Douglas Atkin. Ooh, good one. I've read his book so many times. He's the original chief community officer. He loves grass movement building and has done it time and time again. Wrote the book on you know his background in branding, wrote the book on community influencing brands. Yeah, 100% be that guy. And he's English, so you two will get along just <laughs> splendidly. Yeah. So much in common. Well, we'll get you guys connected. We'll make that happen. You see, you come on a podcast wow. and your dreams come true. There we go. Done and done. <laughs> All right. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? Uh, I would love to have a good answer to this. Most recent community, I've joined this natural wine community that mm. has been born out of. So there was a, a wine startup that was really cool. 
had a really passionate community around it. Sadly, that startup's going into administration, but the members have gone like, screw this, we're going to carry this on and have kind of launched their own satellite community to keep that spirit alive. And it's super buzzing, really, really helpful. So yeah, wine. Wine. All right. That's winos are weirdos, that's for sure. <laughs> all right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice on how to live, what would that advice be? Yeah. But just reflecting on our chat, I think it's got to be jump in at the deep end because mm. the hardest stuff in life is always the most rewarding. And I think if you think of everything I've done that's been like the best thing I've ever done, if I knew how hard it was going to be when I started, like if I wasn't naive, I, there's no way I would have started it in the first place. Mm. So I think just blindly jump in at the deep end and figure it out on the way out. I love it. I've practiced that myself in my career and it's <laughs> turned out okay. So it works. It works. I plus one that advice. I love it. All right. And finally, where can people go to continue to learn from you and connect with you? Best place is probably to find me on Twitter. Yeah. Find Max Rothery Finimize. What's your Twitter handle? I keep getting asked this. In Instagram. I think it's Maximilian Rothery, but, um, but you can find <laughs> You me. don't know your Twitter handle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I only got into it like a year, six months. I'm six months in or so of actively using Twitter. I'm going to, I'll find out what it is. <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, go follow Max. We'll get you lots of followers. I follow you and I enjoy it. So everyone else should follow you too. You're a rising star in the community space. Despite being there for four years, you clearly did jump into the deep end and learned how to swim very quickly because in our conversations, the things that you've figured out and the things that you're building at Finimize are light years ahead of what a lot of other companies are doing. And you're just very thoughtful about how you approach all these challenges and excited to have you in this world with me and excited to see what you do next and grateful for you taking the time to chat with me today. Awesome. Well, that was very humbling. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, David. Awesome. Thanks again. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.